Welcome to the 19th ESC Every Soldier Counts podcast. Wherever you find American troops today, you find the men of the Transportation Corps. Enough and on time. That's the story we tell you today. The story of the Army Quartermaster Corps. These youthful servicemen are members of the Army's Military Police Corps. One of the most important forces behind the line. The Army Ordnance Corps. Welcome to the 19th ESC Every Soldier Counts podcast. I am Sergeant First Class Adam Ross, Public Affairs NCOIC for 19th Expeditionary Sustainment Command. And on this episode of the podcast, we are talking to Major Fred Dakina with G4 here at 19th ESC. We're going to talk about some interesting assignments he's had, as well as um, some of his fitness exploits over the years. Maybe this, this episode is coming out in the new year, so uh, maybe some inspiration for some of our listeners. And I'm joined by my special co-host in this episode, Captain Mike Houston, PAO for 19th ESC. Greetings and salutations, team. Okay, so sir, uh, so Major Dakina, you are the the G four for 19th ESC, and for our um, less military listeners, how would you describe that position? Uh, just basically overseeing supply and logistics for the entire ESC command. And since 19th ESC, we basically are supply and logistics overall. So is that, but it's still similar to that position. Absolutely. Yeah, our, our main focus is mainly for internal logistics, vice our DMC or distribution management um, section that basically oversees external logistics support for the entire pen. Okay, awesome. And uh, so tell we, we when we have guests, we like to start off with kind of their origin story. So what what brought you into the army, sir? Oh, yeah, just I didn't know what to do with my life. And, uh, and let me just say, it's like I grew up in California, and it wasn't the, the nice part of California. It wasn't the tourist part, even though it was San Diego. Uh, I came from a... Um, uh, a sailor, actually my, my dad was in the Navy, my mom was a nurse, and bottom line is they didn't want me to directly uh, enlist into the military. They, they uh, basically forced me to go to college. And to be honest with you, I did not know what I wanted to do in college, and probably like many of, the, many of your listeners, they don't know exactly what they're doing in college either, right? So anyways, a buddy of mine presented the opportunity to join ROTC. I was like, look, if this whole major thing doesn't work out for me and I can't find a, a good job, I'll have the military to fall back on. And so I did that for a couple of years, and then uh, obviously I, I commissioned, and here I am about 17, 17 years later. Okay, and so and where was what college were you going to? San Diego State University. Oh, uh, the Aztecs. That's okay. right, mighty Aztec <laughs> battalion, absolutely. <laughs> okay, and so um, you 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 did ROTC, and then so you you you've always been a, uh, a supply logistics officer. I've always been a supply logistics officer, absolutely. Okay, and what um, when when what what's, what surprised you about that career path when you got that uh, branch what were your thoughts were you thinking about doing something else or you- uh, yeah actually was I, I, I was hoping I was going to get branch detailed armored something something cool something testosterone driven at least for my first couple years as a lieutenant in the military obviously that didn't pan out so I was a little disappointed to just be strictly logistics my entire career but to be honest with you I, I think it's going to it's going to play out on my benefit in the end yeah it seems like it's taking you some interesting places uh, and, and yeah. speaking of that so uh, a lot of our guests you know they, they come to Korea from like Fort Hood Fort Bragg Fort Campbell so why don't you tell us where you PCS here from oh yeah so uh, PCS here from Ottawa Canada 
time. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, Ottawa, Canada was part of the command, or actually combined, yeah, combined joint, or Canadian Joint Operational Command, CJOC, uh, Ottawa. So the best way to kind of um, kind of describe that headquarters, it's it's almost like their Pentagon equivalent, but it's all in just one tiny building, no bigger than our headquarter building. Oh, really? That wow. kind of runs the majority of the Canadian forces, special forces and their uh, conventional forces. And Ottawa being the capital of Canada. Correct. So it's right in there with the political infrastructure. Oh, yeah. Too. Okay. Yes. And so how, how do you get a job like that then? Is it, is it just... <laughs> Is that um, like MOS immaterial, or is it a look is it so a slot for logistics? Yeah, there's there's multiple slots in there, and if anyone's interested, just reach out to Army North. It's specifically their MPEP program. MPEP is their their um, what, do, what do you call it? military exchange program managers. Um, and every once in a while, some of those those opportunities will come up. So if you look through the marketplace, you just have to look carefully for that MPEP. Um, but how I actually got to that position, I wasn't really supposed to be there. All it was. Probably well. Let me just say this: I I did have a friend over at HRC. I was supposed to go to another assignment, and he just asked me on a whim at the last minute before the RFO was cut if I could move to Ottawa, Canada for this this assignment. And how that came about is bottom line: he knew that I was single, uh, basically had no responsibilities, no family, <laughs> no dogs, no pets, and he knew out of the entire menu of officers, no one else fit that that mold. So he he just literally called me on the phone and said, "Hey, do you mind going there?" I said, "No." And, can you yeah. drop everything and move to Canada? Pretty yeah. much. Yeah, like I said, the last minute. issue soldier. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and again, I was prepared to PCS to this other location. I think it was actually Leavenworth for Tradoc. Oh. To redo some soft doctrine for logistics. And uh, like I said, last minute changed. And so what's that What's that like uh, in processing then into a, a foreign military? Like, is there a little, is there an American office within there? Uh, no, not really. So what happens is you in process into Army North and that's over it or headquartered in San Antonio. San Antonio. Mm-hmm. You do that maybe two or three weeks before you actually um, in process into Canada. And in processing in Canada, it's literally just showing your ID, your, <laughs> your visitor pass, and then they give you an ID and, and you're kind of free to roam, uh, not only the headquarters, but the entire country. Okay. So it was, uh, had you tried? traveled in Canada before that at all? Yeah, or? so yeah, coincidentally, I do already have family there, but they're on the western side of Canada, um, Vancouver Island, if anyone's familiar geographically oh, yeah. of Canada. Um, but otherwise, I'd, uh, other than that point when I was assigned in Ottawa, I've never been to the eastern side or to the central part of Canada. It's always been on the western. So what's that like getting to be within a foreign military, see how you know their processes are and their, their decision making? <laughs> yeah, it's, mm-hmm. uh, let me just say it's interesting. People so behind the curtain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, get good and bad. There's definitely some a lot of good and bads and and one thing that I can say that benefited with my presence over there is un, for them to better understand the logistics aspect so even though they work closely with us in a lot of operations what they do know is that when they request things from American forces it somehow magically appears but what mm. I provided them is a little insight on how it magically appears so it, it, it definitely aids in their planning process especially for operations globally not just uh, in within the continent hmm yeah, so I, I I was able to work with Canadians a little bit in Afghanistan when I was there. The one thing I remember from them is their um, benefits were like lavish compared to ours. <laughs> where um, the at that time the deployed Canadian soldiers they got two R and Rs and they their dependents got like a special gratuity during their R and R so that they could go on like a good vacation together with their. And it's funny you bring that up because I, I experienced a little bit of their lavishness, so to speak. So I was in a conference in I think it was Scott Air. 
Force Base for one week. And typically when we go to TDY to locations like that, it's like the cheapest hotel. Per diem rates are relatively small. So that's what I was expecting. And then when I returned, I, I turned in all my receipts. Um, I was surprised to receive a hefty sum back. And, and I had to ask their finance clerk, like, is this correct? They're like, yes, mm. sir, that's the standard rate. I'm like, Jesus. Mm. Like if we if we had sent like ten people, do you guys completely fund this? And they're like, absolutely. But it was a hefty sum hmm. back. So, yeah, it's surprising when you you there's those little partnership. There's more of those uh, U.S. Canadian partnerships out there than people think. When I was with Forty uh, Second MP Brigade, we had a partnership with the Vancouver B.C. Yep. Police, yep. and they we would go up there. They would come down to Washington, yep. that kind of thing. Yeah, it's interesting. Okay, and so um, you said this before. This is your first time in Korea. So what? What were your thoughts about Korea before you came over here when you got the word? Well, let me just say absolutely no thoughts. And so when I received this assignment, I was asking a lot of my buddies uh, that were in Korea when they were lieutenants and captains. And all I received back is like, oh, Fred, you're, you're going to have a blast. You know, <laughs> like what, what what part of Korea are you going to be in? And, uh, you know, I, I told them I wasn't sure, sure but they're like, you know, regardless of where you're going to be, it's going to be an outstanding experience. And thus far, it's kind of lived up, lived up to that. Uh, what I will say is it's a lot busier than I expected. Oh, yeah. A whole lot busier. Yeah, and it's what what I tell people too, and what I think a common refrain is that here you really for any MOS you really do your job. Too. Yes, it's it's not just training to do your job; you're really doing it. Absolutely, and it's and it's extremely fast paced. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was not I was not really expecting a fast paced op tempo. But within that, you've still found time for your fitness hobbies. Uh, yeah. And so can you tell us a little bit about that? Did that start um, before you were in ROTC or have you always kind of been in? <laughs> yeah, well, 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 kind of. So I was a fat kid growing up. And of course, when men people, uh, when men people hear that from me, they, they can't believe it. But I, I definitely was. And the turning point was the latter half of high school when I was um, uh, getting ready to go to college. And I was walking up the flight of stairs in, 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 in my mom's house, and it was only 14 steps. And I was out of breath at the very top. And I looked <laughs> down at the bottom of the stairs, and I'm like, man, I'm at the time, I think I was about 14, 15 years old. I'm like, there's absolutely no reason that a 15-year-old is out of breath at the top of the stairs. And basically from that moment on, I, I just kept on walking up and down those stairs. Mm -hmm. and, um, uh, and then slowly I ventured outside. And it, like, it, was, it was odd for me to venture outside because before then, uh, I would only play basketball you know, every once in a while. Um, but it wasn't enough to burn all the calories uh, that I consumed. So if anyone in there with an Asian background, you, you grew up basically eating rice for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And if, if you weren't active, you're not burning that. So you're just gaining weight. And that's pretty much how I was. Hmm. And so, you know, as I started becoming more active, what I found out was as my body started to change, I started losing weight my head was extremely big. So <laughs> to, to balance that out, I started lifting weights. And then of course there was a compromise. Like as I was building all this upper body strength, I was starting to slow down. So then now I've kind of found this happy medium. Hmm. And I'm sure in San Diego too, no shortage of things to do outside. For <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> that helped you discover, you know, what was out there. Yeah, absolutely. And again, it, it, I started discovering more of these things as it became more fit and uh, more competitive. So running in races, rock climbing, uh, swimming, all that kind of stuff. And so for you, I know you're re really into cycling. That's one of your things. So like, 
Take us through one of your typical long bike rides here in, in, in Daegu. Yeah, well, so I think it's a misconception. I'm more of a runner than a cyclist. Okay. I just literally picked up, uh, I wouldn't say picked up, uh, seriously cycling when I arrived here, mainly because Colonel Dela Cruz and, and one of my coworkers, CW2 Welch, he's a food service advisor. And uh, well, number one, Colonel Dela Cruz is pretty big into cycling. I think he first started seriously cycling around 2015. Uh, and, and the dude, when you look at him, you wouldn't think of it. But if you ever cycle with this guy, he's a maniac. I mean, on the flats or straights, I, I doubt anyone can keep up with the dude. Hmm. Um, but anyways, that, that's you know part of my competitive nature. That's kind of what fed my interest more into cycling is not only did I want to, I wouldn't say beat Colonel De La Cruz, but <laughs> I want to at least keep in pace with him. And then I wanted to see how far I can push myself. And it's always been like that with any kind of new adventure in, in physical fitness for me. So it started with running and now it's kind of slowly transitioning to cycling. So what was your, your comp- what kind of running, comp- are you talking marathons or what kind of running, uh, competitive what, running are you doing? Uh, yeah, so I, I mean, I wouldn't say it's competitive. My own competition's myself right but it did start with marathon running uh the distance running to me was always the challenge that i wanted to overcome and then once i did my first marathon i asked myself well can i do this a little bit faster so i always trained for that and then i finally realized like training for marathons it takes too much time way too much time and so i literally just cut it all the way down to half marathons and that was my event so any event that led up to a half marathon for example 5ks 10ks I would adjust my training for that, but it's all in preparation for that that half marathon. And so my fastest half marathon to date uh, was about, I think it was a one hour 21 on a very hilly course in Annapolis, Maryland. Oh, really? Uh, I think I placed fourth overall in that entire race out of 5,000 people. But uh, that was kind of at my peak. And of course, through time and injury, uh, I'm not quite there. So I'm trying to get back up to that level. And did that go through the Naval Academy in Annapolis or was it like on city streets? Well, yeah, it was, it was on city streets. It actually started, I think just outside the Naval Academy. Yeah. 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 I've, I've run through there a couple of times. There's a little pedestrian gate you can get through. It's it's nice. Um, yeah. So I've, I've run, I I think I share your opinion with half marathons and marathons because a marathon, a full marathon, you know, sounds good in your head. You like to say 20, (laughs) I ran 26.2, but (laughs) you know, after mile 18, It's like, it's just, you know, you're gritting your teeth. Yeah. And you're second guessing your life choices. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You got to remember <laughs> the first person to run a marathon died. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. The, uh, my, my first half marathon was in, uh, was in Afghanistan, actually, uh, Kandahar airfield. And what I remember from that is extremely cold morning, like probably as cold as it gets in that part of Afghanistan. And when we were running past the flight line, yep. a fighter jet flew over the top of me. And I was like, oh, this is, you know, not many people get to experience yep. this kind of thing. Exactly. And so um, it does take a long time to train for a marathon, but what, what, what goes into your training for a half marathon? Yeah. You know, interestingly, it's, it's literally just a lot of miles. And you know what? A lot of people, when they first get into running, they, they, they immediately, especially for us, like the, when it used to be the old PT test where you had your push-up sit-ups in the two-mile run, their focus was just speed. Like, how do I get faster? And really, the only way to get faster is conditioning your body. And what a lot of people don't a lot of people don't realize is it's just consistency with with just putting in miles. And uh, I mean, I can go into the scientifics about it, but there's multiple YouTube channels, a lot of books that people can read if they want to explore what those possibilities or different different strategies to get faster and stronger are. But really what it comes down to is consistency. So the more you're out there running, regardless if it's hot outside or cold outside, your body will continually improve. It's the second that you stop and take that 
two, three month long break because you're just not motivated mm-hmm. or you have an injury, that's when it becomes very difficult to kind of get back into the swing of things. And I'd also say with, with full marathons, it's a greater injury risk. And so when you're training for a half marathon, le- a lot less injury risk you yeah. know, with those long. Well, I fully agree. And, and part of that too, and I was talking to uh, Mike about this, was the the form aspect. I think a lot of people neglect form when they're running and all they're focused on is trying to move that foot in front of the other one as fast as they can. And what what they don't realize is there are certain elements to that to not only run more efficiently, but to prevent injury. And any anytime I've, I've spoken with other people to try to coach them in running better, the first thing I focus on is form. Because once you get the form down, believe it or not, all, all those cases for injury, hamstring pulls, groin pulls, all that stuff. Uh, I wouldn't say magically goes away, but the susceptibility of that individual um, uh, occurring those injuries is greatly diminished. Yeah, the um, and so the the, the FM seven twenty two the new that's it seems like in my time in the army they've really evolved the the fitness guidance to cut down on injuries like mm-hmm. the, the days of running with weighted vests you know for five <laughs> miles kind of over. But um, so Captain Houston and I took an ACFT today uh-huh. and recently we were, um, there was some discussion with senior leaders about the the failure rate with ACFT is mostly on the two mile run. Yep. So what what what's your theory on that? Yeah. So the, the again the two mile run is it's um, just not enough running for for people and is it something that, that that many people can overcome? Absolutely. The problem though is a lot of people don't have motivation to run because they either have bad or traumatic experiences with running or they they feel like they're they're never going to be fast enough. And uh, I will say this: I'm pretty confident if you leave some of those those soldiers with me for at least a month. Uh, I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm probably not going to motivate them to think that running is is fun, but I will motivate them to think that running can be a lot more efficient, a lot more uh, beneficial for them than it was before they started training with me. Uh, and it's not to say that I'm a certified trainer or anything like that. But what I will say is I have trained multiple people to not only be better runners, uh, and that's mainly because no one ever taught them formally how to run. Mm. And once you just teach them that the, those fundamental basics of how your foot should be landing, um, proper. Um, proper posture when you're running just those simple basics it just changes the the whole dynamics of running i think yeah i think with some people too they they waste a lot of energy with how they're running too yeah yep and don't get me wrong of course with the running portion for the acft it's towards the latter half of the the test so of course prior to that you're doing the was it the the, what uh, the sprint drag carry sprint drag carry leg tuck yep you're doing the leg tuck isn't there like a squat aspect or um, deadlift yeah the deadlifts and all of that stuff drains a lot of the energy out of your legs but, you know, if, if people do a little bit of research on like triathlon athletes and you're, you're transitioning from the swim, from the bike and then to the run, uh, what little do they know is that there's there's uh, certain aspects of your muscles that, that even though it's the same muscle that's being used, it's certain portions of the muscles that you can activate to still be more efficient in running at the end of all those events. And so has the ACFT changed how you, your fitness regimen, what you, what you focus on? Uh, well, yeah, a little bit. So then, of course, my, my, my old training plan used to revolve around push-ups, sit-ups, and, and a run. But what, what I like to tell people is, well, now, it, I guess you can say it's slightly changed. Uh, now that I, I kind of focus more on total body workouts and, instead of just focusing on those specific events. And what I realized, too, is that by focusing on total body workouts, it's reduced my susceptibility to injury. And, of course, I'm doing a lot more reading on this and, and just listening to a, a bunch of YouTube podcasts about it. But what, what I try to remind people is that your body is a system. So then when you focus on just one aspect, so, for example, uh, your, your abs, 
little people uh, little people um, will know that you have to also train your your lower back so doing like high or lower back extensions things like that because anytime you start having lower back problems it, again it originates through weakness because of undertrained muscles the same thing goes for for your legs yeah I think a lot of for a lot of people they had never really trained for deadlifts before mm-hmm. or even really d- try to do the best form yep. you can for a deadlift and so um uh, you're you're in Korea here, sir. What what's what's next for you? What other goals do you have in your career? Uh, yeah, whatever comes up. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, to be honest with you, I've treated <laughs> my my career that same way. What, whatever opportunity presents itself, uh, what what I like to do. I was an instructor for about two or three years at Fort Lee around 2013 to 2015. And what I reminded all of my students, regardless of what assignment you have, and even if you think it sucks, just grow where you're planted. And I, I follow the same philosophy as well. Hmm. And. Uh, have anything for him so. No. so you hit the nail right on the head from my perspective uh talking about the form piece mm-hmm. uh, I, my, my background i'm a more of a weightlifter mm-hmm. powerlifted for 12 years of my life uh, competitively and form will make or break you there is no scientific reason why me at the time at 150 pounds could squat more than a 270-pound, you know, lifter. Mm -hmm. It's form and conditioning. Kind of like you said, as long as you – if you stick with it and you don't take those absurd breaks – you the the repetitions you know it builds and it builds upon itself so yeah i definitely agree with you on that one sir yeah i fully agree with that and it, it what i find interesting too just through the 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 time that i spent in the military and just observing the, i guess the mentality of soldiers is a, a lot of the soldiers now that i i think go to the gym it's mainly for i don't know i, I guess the vanity aspect of it just looking good and what i what i have to remind people is you don't go to the gym just to look good go to the gym and your number one priority should be feeling better if, if health is not your number one priority then it should be and then after that just wait for people to give you the compliments because the, the amount of low self-esteem that, that I see or observe with a lot of soldiers nowadays is because of that they look in the mirror and they're like oh, I don't look as good as I should be then they go to the gym for two weeks they do a plan and they they don't see the results and they're like oh I don't want to do this anymore again stay consistent uh, don't don't go, don't jump on the scale. Don't be discouraged by the weight that you see, and don't look at the mirror so often. And the biggest compliment you can receive is when other people notice the change in you, and the fact that you're healthier. So again, stay consistent. Don't worry about what you see in the mirror. Don't don't look at the numbers on the scale. And I'd also say I think a lot of people maybe got discouraged during the pandemic because that yeah. disrupted a lot of PT plans. Did that change at all your approach, or have you had to adjust how you uh, go about it? Well, I, I would say not really, because again, my core in in physical fitness is running, and the roads have always been clear. So that's true. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> the sidewalks are free. That's right. <laughs> Okay, well, good luck, sir, on your uh, your your next race. And, and that's the end of the question. Do you have any races coming up? You know what? Well, it, it really depends if, if things start opening up because of mm-hmm. the coronavirus, right? So obviously now things are pretty close. Uh, hopefully if things begin opening up and races become available, I'll, I'll definitely be signing up. And have you done any virtual races? I, I, I don't find those very fun. Mm-hmm. I, I love the competitive nature of seeing my opponents to my left and right or to my front and rear. So <laughs> uh, Wait a minute, sir. You said you only compete with yourself. I, mm. I do, I do, but then if I need that little <laughs> bit of motivation, I just look to my left and right. You know what I mean? Nah, <laughs> I think, sir. Like I, I'd rather be the predator, not the prey. 
So <laughs> yeah, one one of our uh, peers on the peninsula did the virtual Boston Marathon. Oh, actually, yeah? this year. So, How'd that go? Um, I didn't hear about his time, but I know he, <laughs> he definitely finished. Yeah. <laughs> nice. All right. Well, definitely a lot of good good points here, sir, and some uh, some inspiration maybe for some fo- some listeners out there. But want to thank Major Fred Dakina for joining us here, and uh, hope your next assignment goes just as well for you. And Captain Houston, thanks for being a special co-host. Maybe it'll become a regular thing. We'll see. All right. Well, thanks for listening and uh, stay tuned for our next episode here on the Every Soldier Counts podcast. Mm